I hope you uh, brought your Bibles with you. We're going to be going through uh, the book of Job today. We're going to be looking uh, in Job. I'm going to kind of go in depth, uh, chapters 1 through 2, not all of it. We're going to go section by section. But I hope that, um, hope that you brought your Bibles today as we uh, are in this, continuing this series called The Devils in the Details. We're looking specifically at the places in the Bible where it talks about spiritual warfare, where it talks about the devil and how he attacks us and things such as that. Uh, So we've talked about the devil and Jesus. We've talked about the fall. Today we're talking about the devil and Job. Next week, next week I'll be preaching intersection. Beth will be in here in traditional. We'll be talking about our our weapons against spiritual warfare, which is the armor of God, all leading up into Easter and to Palm Sunday. So, uh, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me today to Job chapter uh, chapter 1. Uh, one through, uh, we're going to start, we're going to read verses one through five and then kind of go section by section from there. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Job chapter one, uh, one through five. There was once a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and very many servants. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold feasts in one another's houses, and in turn, they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the feast days had run their course, Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt, burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This is what Job always did. Okay, um, Job is an interesting story. Um, we don't know for sure, but we feel pretty confident that Job is the oldest story in the Bible outside of the creation story in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. It's a very old, very ancient story. And here's how we know that. First, notice what Job does as a way to atone for the potential sins of his children in the story. What does he do? He offers a sacrifice. You know, and that seems a good thing in this passage. Well, this story has to come before Moses and the Levites. Here's why. After Moses, after the Levitical system, only priests could offer sacrifices. Regular folk were not allowed to offer sacrifices. Think back in your history. Do you remember at one point Saul is fighting a battle and Samuel is late? And the scripture says that Saul offered a burnt offering for the battle. And that thing is a really bad thing. When Saul offers that burnt offering in scripture, he is, you know, criticized and corrected and rebuked by Samuel. So we see here this story most likely definitely predates Moses. It definitely predates the Levitical system in the Old Testament. So it's older than Moses. Okay. It's probably also older than Abraham because we don't see in this intro any reference to covenant or circumcision or even Yahweh. Like there's no connection here to the Abrahamic movement, if you will. What we see here, we see a good man who had great wealth, who loved God. And so this is probably one of the oldest stories in the Bible outside of creation. It's a very old, very ancient story. That's a lot of things to teach us. We see here, he has seven sons and three daughters. By the way, it lists all this property. And we understand this passage, okay, it starts off with his most important property, his children. Remember, 
This, is a, this was not a child-centric uh, community like ours is. You know, in that world, children were property. You know, they weren't seen as, you know, as, as like we see children now. They were seen as property. So he had a lot of property. He had children and oxen and sheep and cattle and all these things. But notice how many children he had. In the, the Bible, numbers matter. Numbers matter. Numbers are always significant of other things. So how many days of creation were there? Seven. How many sons did he have? Completeness. He had a complete family. He, he had completeness. How many persons of the Trinity are there? Three. How many daughters did he have? Three. He had double perfection in his family. He had double blessings. That'd be like taking a road trip with me and Tim. I mean, it just doesn't get better than that. So he had double perfection here. We see that he had as many, God had blessed his family in every way possible. He had tons of assets, tons of, he had a big, man, his Roth IRA was blowing up, y'all. Like he had his investor calling him, not the other way around. He had everything. Like he, he had everything, everything, everything. Job was it. Seriously, he was a good man. He was seen. He took care to atone for sin. He was respected. He had wealth. He had privilege. He had everything. He was literally the best that you could have. Why is Job written? Why do we have this ancient story? One of our professors used to always say, you need to always read the book of Proverbs and Job in tandem. Because Proverbs tells you this, work hard, do right, behave, you know, do everything right, and it's going to be just great. It's going to work out perfect. Get up early, work hard, mind your P's and Q's, everything's going to be awesome. Just do right, and you're going to be great. And Job says, not so much. You're not going to get this, you're not going to believe this, guys. You're not going to believe this. In Job's world, People thought good things happened to good people and bad things happened to bad people. Can you believe people used to think like that? Isn't that crazy? Same thing. Job was written to show that just because something bad happens, it doesn't mean that God's out to get you. It doesn't mean that the tragedies when we, that we always face in our life aren't, are, are always the hand of God against us. And I, I know some of us are wired that way. I'm wired that way, y'all. When you suffer the loss that I suffered at two years old, you always expect the other shoe to drop. Okay? I'm a fatalist. I'm going to be fired and homeless at some point in my life. It's just a matter of when. Like, that's how my brain works. I'm always expecting bad things to happen. That's how my brain works. I know intellectually that's not the case. I know spiritually that's not the case. But that's the way my brain's hardwired to think because of tragedy. A lot of us think the same way, don't we? When something bad happens, well, I've done something and God's out to get me. This tragedy is God getting me. This happened and God's punished me. God's always out to get me and God is against me. That's the way we feel sometimes. Job was written to combat that. We're going to see in a minute, why did Job suffer? He was a good guy. 
He didn't suffer because he was evil. It wasn't God out to get him. He suffered because he was good. Job shows us that every tragedy we face is not some judgment for God from our sins. Sometimes bad stuff happens. And we're going to see in Job how God uses that. So let's, let's move to verse 6. Let's read 6 through, six through 12. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, blameless and upright, a man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, all that he has is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So here we see, okay, here we see Satan, is, mind his says the heavenly beings, some, some translations say the sons of God. We see almost like a medieval court scene. We see God on the throne and we see the created beings, these heavenly hosts of which Satan is one of them, a fallen angel, come and present themselves to God. They come and they bend the knee to God. They're coming and they're showing God reverence because God is God, he is king, and they are not. Remember, remember y'all, we said this early on, God and Satan are not equals. Satan is a created being. The devil is a created being. God has no equal. Y'all, we make God too small, y'all. How small is our God that we think we got to always protect him? We carry God around like a little fairy in our pocket. He's the God of all of creation. He's the sovereign God of heaven. He's the commander of the angel armies. He does not need me. I am insignificant in the grand scheme of the universe. I am loved by him, but he is God. We got to stop making God so small, y'all. We got to stop making God so weak. We got to stop making God so insignificant. He is God. He has no equal. Not the devil, not anything upon the earth, not anything in all of creation, but he is God. We've got to stop making him so small. As the great theologian Bono once sang in his seminal work, stand-up comedy, stop helping God across the road like a little old lady. He is God, y'all. We've got to realize that. And we've got to make it our duty not to always protect him or even defend him but serve and love him and point the world to him. So what do we see? We see a God who is big. We see a devil who ain't that big, who's coming to bend his knee to God. We get it backwards, y'all. We make the devil too big and God too small. We got to reverse those. We got to see it in proper order. We got to start making God bigger. And the devil's smaller. So we see here that proper order. 
We see that Satan comes, says he's an adversary. That's, that, the word sat, Satan means adversary. We see that he is an accuser. We see that he is always at war against God and God's people. We see that he's always at an attack, y'all. Our, we, have to, we have to be aware that in our lives we're going to always have attacks from the devil, attacks from evil, attacks from temptation, that we have to be ready. We have to be ready for that. We have to be ready for the fight or the attack that's coming. We've got we've to pay attention. Sometimes we just float too lo- through life, don't we? Sometimes we just float through life. We don't pay attention. Sometimes we float through life and we aren't even looking for an attack of the devil. We float through life, we aren't even looking for what could attack us. And y'all, we've got to be careful. We've got to walk with upright hearts. We've got to walk with upright legs. We've got to walk with upright spirits. We've got to have upright eyes and mouths and ears. We've got to be paying attention, y'all. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. We have to pay attention. Satan was looking for trouble. And he will continue. Pay attention. Pay attention. I heard an interesting sermon one time on the passage where you know, Jesus says, broad's the path that leads to destruction and narrows the way that leads to salvation. And of course, what he's talking about there is that how salvation comes narrowly through Jesus Christ, that few will find it. But I heard an interesting sermon about that one time that made a lot of sense as well. How do you walk on a broad path? You're walking down your street and on a brand new big sidewalk. How do you walk? You can just walk like you want to. You can lollygag. You can skip. You can not even look where you're going. Get on your phone. Doesn't matter. This nice brick sidewalk, do what you want to. How do you walk on a little path? On a small path. This past spring break, Holly and the kids, we went, went up to the mountains, Nashville, and went, up, went to the little hike to a waterfall. And there was one point in the waterfall trail where I just sat on my rear end and scooted because I was going to fall anyway. And I feel, I, I, the path was too small and too slippery, and I wasn't going to be able to walk on it. So I went ahead and sat down, just kind of scooted on my rear the end of the path. He had to walk very carefully on that slippery, wet path. In our life, we've got to walk carefully. We've got to walk carefully. The accuser of the brethren will always be looking for us. Evil will be looking for us. So pay attention to what you give space to in your mind. If Facebook makes you angry, you know you can log off and go outside for a walk, right? That is an option. If the news makes angry, you, you know you don't have to watch it. You can do something else. Be careful. Walk carefully. The accuser of the brethren is always around. He will, if he came for Job, he'll mess with us too. Let's read. 13 through 22. One day when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them and the Sabians fell on them and carried them all off and killed the serpents with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said that the Chaldeans have formed three columns and made a raid on the camels and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. 
and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job rose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I have come from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. Okay, so we see here, blow after blow after blow after blow after blow. While they were still speaking, boom. While they were still speaking, boom. While they were still speaking, boom. He lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his possessions. He lost his retirement. He lost everything. Everything. And you know what else he lost? He lost his reputation. Because what happens to good people? They get good stuff. What happens to bad people? They get bad stuff. So you know, on his neighborhood Facebook group, they were talking about him. Ooh, you see what happened to Job? Hey, y'all see those? Hey, there was those ambulances over at Job's house. What do y'all think happened? He lost everything, y'all. He lost his family. He lost his retirement. He lost his job. He lost his possessions. He lost his reputation. He lost everything you could lose. He lost it all. Remember why this story was written? Why this story's been passed down to us? It was, Job didn't lose all this because he's a bad guy, y'all. We see behind the scenes. We see he lost it not because he was evil. We see he lost it because of his integrity. He lost because of his goodness. God is not out to get you. The tragedies we face are not always God's divine justice. Sometimes we just live in a fallen world where bad stuff happens and we don't always have an answer. But the answer we have is this. God is always good. Even in the sickness and even in the tragedy and even in the pain and even in the loss. And even if we lose our retirement and our reputation, God is still good. And God is still God. Job was written to show us that God is still good even when things are bad. Let's read verse 2 through 8, chapter 2, 1 through 8. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came amongst them to present himself before the Lord. See, once again, he's bending the knee to God. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from going on to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down upon it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin, all that people have, they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to their face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, he's in your power, only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a pot shirt with which to scrape himself and sat in the ashes. I'm going to read 9 through a, to a, a 10 as well. Then his wife said to him, do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not the bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. By the way, I've always been fascinated by by his wife's response. I've yet to find the curse God and die card at Hallmark uh, and the sympathy cards. 
You know why she was so harsh to Job here? Because she lost everything as well. She lost her children in her retirement. And unlike Job, she had no way to make it up. So everything Job lost, she kind of lost doubly. So you think you might be, say a little something you regret at that point? You think if you lost everything, you might say a little, be a little harsh? Now we, see, now we see Job suffering in this way. And notice what Job, I love what it says in verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 10. And all this Job did not sin with his lips. That's something I struggle with sometimes. I don't know about you. Sometimes when life gets hard, I tend to want to run my mouth. I tend not just want to complain, but I'll sometimes in moments of exhaustion or tiredness or frustration, sometimes even lash out to those that I love. Job here, in spite of everything that he went through, did not sin against God with his lips. That's important, y'all. Because what we say has lasting effects. And how we treat others, how we speak. And I think if there's anything that hurts my heart in today's world, it's how we speak against people that Christ loves. It's how we speak against people that Jesus Christ died for. And if Jesus Christ loves somebody enough to die for them, I at least shouldn't slam them on Facebook. It's at the very minimum. Job did not sin against God with his lips, even after all that he lost. By the way, you know how we know the devil doesn't know everything or see everything? Because he thought this would cause Job to sin against God, didn't he? If you do this, he'll sin against you. If you do this, he'll sin against you. He didn't know the future. He didn't know Job's mind. He didn't know God's mind. Remember, we make the devil too big and God too small. We need to reverse it. We need to make God bigger and the devil smaller. The devil didn't know what was really going to happen. And real quick, if, you were, if we were to read beyond this, you know what we'd, we'd find? We'd find Job's friends show up. It says for seven days, they sat with him in the ashes. Then on day eight, they started talking. Yeah, I'm a pastor. I hold the hand of the dying. Well, I hold the hand of the spouse of the dying. I want magic words. I want magic words to make the pain stop. I want magic words to make it go away. We all do, don't we? <laughs> we all do. We struggle with what to say in tragedy. And if we read Job's, the rest of Job, you know what we'll find? What people in tragedy don't need are more words. What they need is more presence. When Job's friends sat in the ashes with them, they were right. They started talking, they messed things up. How many times have we not avoided talking to some, have we avoided talking to somebody because we didn't know what to say? Y'all, it doesn't matter what you say, just show up. It doesn't matter what you say, just show up. Our words matter so much less than our presence. It's our presence that matters. You don't believe me? Anytime you've been sick, do you remember what people said to you? Maybe not. But I guarantee you remember who showed up at the hospital, don't you? I guarantee you remember who showed up. It's not what we say that matters. It's our presence that matters. So real quick, what do we, what do we know from this? We, we know, what we can learn from Job is this. 
God's plan for Job was huge. This story is one of the oldest stories in all the scripture. It goes back thousands of years. And yet here we find ourselves in Madison, Mississippi, 15,000 years maybe after Job's story. Job is still being talked about. Job is still relevant thousands of years after his death. Okay? Like, that doesn't happen for most people. No, your great, 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 great grandchildren probably won't be talking about you. They won't grieve you. You know how come I know that? Because you don't talk about or grieve your great, 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 great grandparents. Job is still relevant, and we still talk of Job and still love Job 15,000 years after a story. God's plan for Job was great. In fact, God even used the devil to do it. Because all the devil did eventually led Job to these truths. So it wasn't that the devil was attacking, it's that God was actually using the devil as a tool to grow Job. God actually even uses the devil to accomplish his plan. It's not just that the devil is small, it's that God's power even goes to using the devil to accomplish God's good. It's not that all things are good, it's that God uses all things for good. Romans 8, 28, all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we see here that God's plan was to prosper and grow Job, even in these difficult times, even when Job didn't understand it. And I think here's the last thing from Job is this. You know what God never did to Job? Explained himself. He never explained to Job why this happened. He never explained to Job his plan. Nowhere in this book does God ever explain himself to Job. Y'all, we're not always going to know the answer. We're not always going to know what God's doing. God does not always give us an explanation. So here's what we do. When we don't know and we don't have the explanation and we don't understand, what do we do? We trust. We have faith. We have faith. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we don't understand. We trust in the goodness of Jesus. Even when we don't understand. We trust in the goodness of Jesus. And we hold on tight to him in the midst of the storm. With all that Job went through, God's plan for Job was good. Friends, in the same way, right now, no matter what it is you're going through, God's plan for you is good. May we have the grace to trust it, even the times we don't understand it. Let's pray.